0: Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your court. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. And the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grey. They shout and sing together for joy.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Shall we pray as we come to uh, study God's word together? (coughs) Dear Lord, Uh, As we come to your word now, we pray that it would speak to us with uh, clarity and power and that we would go out of here uh, better equipped to serve you as a result of studying it. Amen. Psalm 65. Now I'll confess, I didn't know this psalm particularly. Um, uh, you know, there are 150 psalms. Some I know really well, and some I don't. And this is one of the ones that I didn't. Um, and yet, of course, having the privilege of, of studying it uh, to come and speak to you, to you, uh, speak to you about it, um, I've uh, realised what a wonderful psalm it is. And um, all the psalms are wonderful, of course, but. Um, but this is, uh, this is a particularly um, wonderful one, and uh, it was interesting reading Spurgeon. He, he described it as one of the most beautiful hymns in any language, um, so he didn't shy away from saying that um, in some ways you know, it's more beautiful than some of the others. So uh, it is a beautiful psalm, uh, and we're going to consider that, but we're also going to consider of course what it's uh, saying to us in terms of our uh, Christian life. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's great to share Laurie's 90th uh, birthday uh, today. And uh, I'm sure as Laurie looks back, he's, he, he can sort of see his uh, life falling into different periods, different, different times. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, better than others, um, I expect. And I imagine we all do that to some extent, you know, whatever age we are. We, we, we sort of chunk our life a little bit. I can't remember who I was having this conversation with. It probably was somebody on uh, the camp that we've been on last week. But we were talking about how we think about our life, how we, we compartmentalise the times that we've had. And uh, in the end, I had to confess, that because this person was saying that they did it with reference uh, to their children. And I, I had to confess that actually when, when I chunk my life down, I do it more in terms of the jobs that I've done, which may say something about me, um, which is perhaps not a good thing, um, you know, um, but I think, oh yes, if you, if, you, if you just threw a year at me, the first thing I'd be able to tell you is what job I was doing in that year. That would be the first thing. So I chunk my life according to my job. Um, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope not all of you do that. Um, some of you won't be able to do it because you won't have had jobs in quite the same distinct way. Uh, but we all, we all break our life down and we think about our life in different ways. And sometimes those periods of life that we can think of, we can, we'll be able to think of them because they've been particularly difficult uh, periods in life. And um, perhaps a time when we couldn't get a job. Um, perhaps a time when we were particularly short of money. Perhaps a time when we were lonely. Um, a time when we were mourning uh, for somebody, you know, time after bereavement. And perhaps a time when we were stressed or depressed. And and we will have those times and we'll be able to look back. This psalm appears to have been written at the end of such a time. It appears to have been written at the end of a a period uh, of time. And and the, uh, the, the psalmist David's response to the sort of ending of that period is to praise God. And I suppose therefore the first challenge for us as we look at this psalm is to ask... You know, As we move from one phase of life to another, do we, uh, do we thank God um, for his sustaining power um, and for his you know, help in uh, moving on uh, to the next phase of life? But that's, that seems to be what's happening here. Um, so the, the psalm was very lightly written after a difficult period for Israel, and there are hints um, in this. So let's, let's just have a look at that first. Um, if you look at verse 7, for example... Um, it says, uh, it it talks about God stilling the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Uh, Well, that's, you know, we'd say, well, that's just about creation. But then in the end of verse 7, it says the tumult of the peoples. So David seems to have in mind the fact that there was a particular time of tumult, of difficulty, and that God has brought the Israelites through that. Um, and still that particular tumult. We're not sure when this psalm was written in David's life, so we're not sure you know, what that particular period was. But we know that David had some very difficult periods in his life, um, you know, when he was facing conflict from outside, but also conflict from within his family and so on. Um, but he, he seems to have that in mind. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, "...so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs." So it may be that he's thinking about um, you know, people from outside the kingdom who've seen God act in power uh, to preserve the Israelite nation. So he might have that in mind. But there seems to have been a difficult period. But it also appears that there may have been a period of drought, um, either at the same time or uh, at a similar time. Um, because when you start to read from verse 9 onwards, uh, yes, this is a harvest song from verse 9 onwards, you can see that. Um, talks about uh, you crown the year with your bounty. That's a clear reference to harvest. Um, but at the same time, it seems to be perhaps a particular uh, particular um, time of being grateful uh, for the uh, earth's provision um, because... Uh, it, it seems to imp, uh, imply quite strongly that, that there 's been a, a, a significant period of drought before it. I love the line your wagon tracks overflow with abundance you can you can uh, You can imagine that after this period of drought, the wagon tracks were particularly difficult to negotiate these sort of became very rutted you know and uh, and dry and then and then suddenly there 's water and those wagon tracks are filling up with water and it's its I might be you know Pushing it a little bit too far, but you get the idea. I think there's been also a period of drought, which has uh, come to an end. Uh, the The psalm is called. Um, it, it says a psalm of David and a song. Um, in in Hebrew, that's um, a sure and a mizmor apparently, and that suggests that it's both um, able to be said, it's written both to be said, and also written to be sung. Uh, and for that reason, it seems to be particularly. Uh, lyrical and um, although you wouldn't have the alliteration in the Hebrew um, I do love the, uh, the, the bit where it says softening it with showers um, that's just my favourite bit but there are lots of, of lovely bits in this psalm um, which, are, which are lyrical, which are, which are like a, uh, you'd write a song and that no doubt is why um, Spurgeon says it's one of the uh, most delightful hymns um, in any language um, before we start looking at the psalm in detail, uh, just to be aware that it does fall into four, uh, three sections. I'm not going to specifically look at those sections, um, but just so that you're aware. Um, verses one to four um, is, is the introduction, really. It's all about um, you know, the, the way in which this psalm will be used, coming into God's house, coming into God's temple. Um, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and it goes on, um, blessed... Is the one you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts, um, and it talks about holiness of your temple. It's all about coming into God's presence and praising Him. So that's the, that's like the introduction, and then it goes on uh, to talk about God's deeds. We talked about this probably coming at the end of a difficult period, and so five to eight, um, as they come into God's house, they start to praise God for all the wonderful things that He's done, His His great deeds, and then it moves into this particular focus on God's. Actions in providing uh, food uh, to eat, Um, and you know we take it for granted, don't we? Food, it's just there. Maybe in November we won't be taking it quite so much for granted, depending on what happens. Um, But but generally in our our, you know in our world we take it for granted. Um, The the Israelites couldn't take it for granted, and therefore it made them realise very much how God acted through the harvest. So nine through to thirteen are the. Harvest song. So that's that's the the sort of background and the the structure of the of the psalm. Um, I think this psalm, as I said, is is about how we know God, and it's about how we then respond to that knowledge. Um, So first of all, um, sorry, I've done that bit. First of all, uh, knowing God, Um, and I think uh, we can know God in uh, in three ways, according to this psalm. And obviously, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's uh, it's important. So we know God in his creation Um, and we can see that in verses uh, 6 through to 13 uh, but particularly 9 through to 13 Um, and and I'm not going to read it again but you can just see how the uh, psalmist is so aware, how David is so aware of how we can see God in creation. It's really interesting um, on the camp uh, this last week talking to some of the young people who Are very much in a minority, you know, as teenagers who who are coming to faith. Very much in a minority. And so many of them were talking about how difficult it was going and how difficult it would be to go back um, to school and college and apprenticeships and whatever they were going back to. Um, When, you know, they didn't know anybody else in that situation who was a Christian. Tough, tough uh, for them and and they weren't looking forward to it. I was talking to one in particular, and, and you know, I was sort of asking him, you know, what what kept him going then when he went back into a situation. He said, just started university, and he said he's the only, as far as he knows, he hasn't well, he hasn't found any other Christians in his university. He thinks there probably are some, but he's not come across them at all. Uh, and he's saying, therefore, he's 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 like the only one. There's no CU as far as far as he knows. Yeah, he's the only one. Um, and I was saying, you know, what keeps you going? And the first thing he said was seeing God in creation. He said, you know, I can go out for a walk and I can see God in creation and that, that keeps me going. Um, and so this is an excuse, because I don't normally get to show my holiday slides. Um, <laughs> nobody wants to see them. Um, th- this is an excuse. Just the, the, Here's nine, nine pictures I took last week in the lakes. Okay? Um, and I just thought, rather than me go on and on about creation... Um, I know we can go out and we can see it um, here in Otley. It's a great place to live. But look, um, these are, and we're slightly out of focus, maybe. But here is here are three three uh, pictures I took this week, and three more, and three more. God in creation, yeah. And that's what he said. He said, "When, I, when I, you know, that's the first thing that keeps me going. God in creation." We can look at it in a in a slightly different way because um, we, we can just look at the world around us and just you know appreciate God's um, bounty uh, and God's generosity. But also, if you want to study it a little bit more, and I've talked about this here before, but um, one of my favourite books, and I was recommending it to the older um, young people uh, this week, it's called God's Undertaker by John Lennox, and I have recommended it before, but I'm going to recommend it again. Um, It's about how we can see God through the numbers, It's mainly what it's about, the numbers in creation. And it's just breathtaking when you read uh, the numbers, the maths really, I suppose, behind us, mainly it's the maths behind creation. And I'm just going to give you one example, but the, the, the book is full of them. Um, he says that, uh, and I hope there are no phys- physicists in the house here. Maybe, maybe Doug will um, put me right later if I get it wrong. But um, there's <clears throat> In order for the universe uh, to exist and to keep existing, um, the forces in the universe, the, the physics, if you like, behind the universe, the maths behind the universe, has to be just right. And there are two kind of electromagnetic forces um, which have to be just right, um, and one um, if it varied if that if the strength of that force varied by more than one multiplied by ten to the power sixteen all right um, one times ten to the power sixteen, and the other one, if it varied more than uh, by one to the power ten uh, to sorry one times ten to the power forty so you know, imagine the number of noughts. if either of those forces varied. By just that much, um, then uh, the universe couldn't exist uh, as it is. That's that's the precision. It's that's the level of precision um, that those forces um, are uh, are, have to be at. Um, And I don't really understand that because they're the numbers and the forces that I don't really get. But but what John Lennox says, um, in other words, for the universe to be as it is, just in that particular way, on just that particular way. Um, it's the same as it's the same level of accuracy as a as a marksman firing uh, a bullet at a coin at the end of the observable from here to the end of the observable universe. That's the level of accuracy that is required for the forces to be just right for our universe to exist and for us to exist. Um, now, of course, what what a lot of scientists do is they say well that's, that's, that's just amazing so it must be that there are you know many many universes because and we, we're living in the one that's just right for us um, but you know it's bonkers to go for such a convoluted uh, explanation why not just admit there's a God yeah? um, that's that's what I mean the psalmist didn't know any of that but what he did know was when he looked at creation He saw God, so we can know creation. um, So we can know God in creation, but we can also know God um, in His great deeds. Um, So I've just put before I move on. I put Genesis one thirty one and Romans one nineteen twenty, which you can look up. But you know, when when God looked at creation, uh, He said it was good, and that's and it it is. It's amazing, and that's Genesis one thirty one, and then obviously in Romans. Paul says um, that when we look at the uh, creation, we see God's invisible attributes, um, his eternal power and divine nature. Um, So that's knowing God in creation. As I said, we can also know God in his great deeds of of righteousness and salvation. And they're particularly um, found uh, in in verse 5 and onwards. So the, the psalmist says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth. Uh, and then it talks a little bit about what, what those were. But, the, but David is very, very conscious that God acts in history. That he actually uh, steps down in our, in, into our world and, and makes things happen. Uh, and this runs counter to most people's view of God these days. There's, there's still about half of the British population would say they believe in God. It's come down a lot recently, but it's still about half. But for most of those people, uh, God is a, a remote God. God is not a God who acts in history, in our lives. David is very conscious that that's not the case. He's very conscious of the fact that we can know God in his deeds. And if you, if you turn around and say, well, hang on, I'm not sure that I see um, God uh, acting in, 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 in my life very much, well, he he has already done the biggest thing he could ever do for you. He's already acted in history in the biggest way that he could ever act. He has sent his son to die on the cross for you, for you as an individual. He has sent his son to die for you. And that's the biggest thing that he could have done for you. So, you know, you may go, you know, a number of years and say, well, I, I don't actually, um, I don't actually see God working particularly. Suggest that, you know, that's a question of, of, of looking uh, a little bit more and a little bit further. But even if you, can, even if you say that, um, what you cannot deny um, is the evidence for, for God dying on a cross for you. Um, he's already done the biggest thing that he could do. So like David, we can say um, that God has done great things. He has performed a great deed of righteousness in sending his son to the cross, dying for us uh, and coming back to life. Uh, and so with, with David, we can talk about um, the, the salvation uh, that comes from God and the atonement that comes from God. It's interesting how even you know, before Jesus came, uh, David has such a strong understanding of salvation and atonement. But God has worked um, and he has worked in, uh, uh, in our lives already. And uh, I put two verses there, again, John 12, 44, 47, Colossians 1, 26, 28, that you can look up um, afterwards. Uh, the final thing is knowing God um, in his house. Um, and uh, we, uh, you'll know the end of, of Psalm 23 uh, very well. And you'll also probably know Acts 2 and that picture that we have of the early church. When David talks about knowing God in his house, he's thinking about the temple. Um, but we now know um, that, uh, that the temple, um, the the physical temple where God dwelt and where you could know God, has been replaced by the church. So when we look at this psalm and we think about knowing God um, in his house, we are talking about the church. We are now God's house. Peter says, uh, 1 Peter uh, 2 verse 5, you are being built up, you uh, God, uh, Jesus' disciples, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are now God's house. David says we can know God in his house. We can know God in his church. We can know God in his church through uh, the way that we support each other, through the way that we worship together, through the way that we gather around God's word um, together and support each other as we learn um, from God's word. Really, really important. A lot of the children at camp, uh, so young people at camp, um, were going back to a situation where, as I said, they, they, they knew very few Christians. There was one lad in particular from Swindon, um, who I think I was saying to Mike earlier, he, he just picked, I don't know how he originally picked, uh, a Ventures holiday but when he was 11 he picked a Ventures holiday and came not from a Christian background at all he came really enjoyed the holiday and he's kept coming every year and he's now 15 so he's been uh, he's been for four years and uh, I think he's either a Christian or very close to being a Christian um, he certainly now believes in God and he was talking about going back to Swindon to not having a church And how difficult that would be. Um, And obviously, we were encouraging him to find a church. But it's difficult for a 15 year old lad, maybe, um, whose parents are not Christians, to to go out and find a church. We're encouraging him to do so because we know that in the church he will meet God. Um, And it it is, you know, very, very difficult to be uh, a lone Christian. So the church is really important. And we look around now and, you know, some of us are getting on and. There's not that many of us here, and um, sometimes we can feel a little bit depressed about that. Maybe, um, but actually, isn't it fantastic meeting together? And isn't it wonderful meeting God um, together in His church? And we should be incredibly grateful for that. we already thought um, today. Some people just don't um, are not able to do that. So there are. Let's go away from this morning, knowing that we can we can know God in in three. Uh, really significant ways in creation let's be grateful for the world around us um, we know God in his great deeds and we know God in his church so we can know God and we can keep knowing God but what do we do about that then what, you know, what's our response well the psalmist actually David is really clear um, about the fact that um, there are ways in which we should respond so um, on the, the left there, I've talked about the way in which God acts, um, uh, the way in which the psalmist sees God acting. Um, so he sees him providing, we've already talked about that, um, and, and doing great deeds of righteousness, we've already talked about that. But also, interestingly, in verse 4, he talks about God choosing us. Um, talks about God's salvation and atonement. He also is clear that God hears us in verse 2. And he's also very clear about God's holiness. So interwoven amongst this discussion of how we can know God, um, there's, a very, uh, you know, there's a very clear list of things that God does um, and, and what God is like. So it's a God who acts, acts to provide, acts to uh, save... Acts in history. It's a God who chooses His people, a God who saves, a God who hears, a God who is holy. All of that is really clear. And if you look in the Psalm, you can also see how we should be responding. So, how do we respond to the fact that God has acted? How do we re- how do we respond to the fact that God, um, you know, has done great things? Well, with awe and joy, says David. How do we respond? To the fact that God chooses us. Well we come. So God chooses God chooses us, but we come to Him. It's both. Um, how do we respond to God's uh, salvation? Well, of course, we have hope. Um, we, we praise Him for what He's done. Uh, and we promise, we respond by promising uh, to do uh, His works and to live through His and by His Word how do we respond to the fact that we know that god hears well of course we pray to him because god hears us we should speak to him we should pray to him and we should talk to him in our promises and how do we respond to god's holiness we respond by being satisfied in other words we respond um by uh, by wanting to be um you know part of that um we we understand that in God is completeness and we are satisfied in God's completeness. So this is a psalm about how we can know God. We can know him in in many ways. But it's also a psalm about how we can respond to that knowledge because head knowledge is no good. Whenever Ofsted uh, came into my school, uh, they would say, and, and they were taught to say this, they would say, yes, Mr. Hughes, but what's the impact? Because you'd give them a long list of all the things that you were doing. And they say, yeah, but what's the impact? Well, here's a list of all the thing that, things that God has done. And there should be an impact in our lives. There should, it should, knowing what God is like should make a difference uh, to how we behave. And there is a list. So this is a wonderful psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm that, that is you know a psalm of comfort and encouragement. Um, and of joy and we should enjoy the language of it and we should enjoy reading about what god has done but if that's all that happens it's not enough we then need to ask and how does that affect the way that we respond to god in our daily lives and here are some really clear pointers uh, to take away shall we pray dear god thank you for this psalm for its beauty for its language um for its joy Uh, for its praise, help us to luxuriate in that, to enjoy it, to appreciate it, but also help us to understand what it's telling us about you and about how we should respond to that knowledge. Amen.